Welcome to The Nest Show, the podcast that brings you insights into the crypto market, trading and investment experiences, and what we're looking forward to as we navigate the space together. Today, we are joined by Signify. Signify is the definition of an early investor in crypto. Coming from a background in cybersecurity and biz tech analysis, Signify took the rewards of numerous market cycles and invested his resources and experiences into the development of the Signify product suite to automatically trade alerts generated by his privately developed trading indicators and strategies. We discussed themes of cybersecurity, the paradigm-shifting experience of generating true wealth, the security bullet points of popular exchanges, and of course, highlight the design and philosophy behind the Signify product suite. Our guest today has a true wealth of experience and knowledge to draw on during our conversation, and he shares it with our listeners generously on this episode of The Nest Show. Once again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the ride. What The Nest Show is, this is a podcast brought to you by the Bird Nest community an independent crypto and forex-centered trading community built to sharpen each other in capturing opportunities in the markets while protecting capital along the way. What this is not, trading advice. We are not financial advisors, and you should not regard any information here or in the Nest Club as financial advice. You should always consult a licensed financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Today, we are joined by Signify. Signify, how are you today, man? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. As we were talking pre-show, I was jumping out of my seat just because your wealth of experience, your skill sets, your knowledge base, to give our listeners a little idea of what you bring to the table. You have almost multi-decades of experience in cybersecurity. You're an early adopter of crypto, a technologist, white hat hacker, miner since 2013, day one investor in ETH, hold a degree in advanced business information, pattern recognition specialist. Shall I stop there or shall I go on, sir? I think you should stop. We'll just close it off right there. I'm not going to live up to that. But no, first of all, I think thank you again for having me on. I think, you know, what you guys have been doing here on the uh, the podcasts uh, have been excellent. In terms of who I am, what I, what I do, uh, I come from a, a wide background of different things. Uh, I think from a technology perspective, I think a lot of people that are in crypto find themselves in this space because they have a natural affinity for technology. Uh, that's no different from me uh, back in my original days of starting this whole pursuit down the crypto dream. It was about cyber. I uh, mentioned uh, that's where really I kind of started my career early on and, and I was involved in some uh, incident response uh, type investigations back in 2010 and 2011, uh, which kind of kicked off this whole uh, party for me. Uh, so being exposed to Bitcoin back then actually uh, made me think a lot about uh, what this new technology was going to bring to the financial system. I was not a trader at that point, um, kind of slowly invested, just like we all did um, back when you don't know a whole lot about the stock market um, and being very busy with your day-to-day -day job. And then as the momentum wave of cryptocurrency kind of started to build up and we had these ebbs and flows of different uh, financial freedom that came and, and also left very quickly. Uh, that kind of led me into building out uh, a new capability set within what I was already familiar with. You know, I had a lot of experience in just, uh, statistical um, kind of, um, I guess you just say capability from when I went to college. I never really used that other than just being very logical and uh, deductive kind of logic to uh, be a, a white hat kind of hacker uh, and, and to do that in my, my real world job. But, you know, finding those skills again and being able to apply them to uh, a chart where, you know, numbers rule the day, I think was really kind of the two things that interlocked my past experience with crypto and then, you know, in the future. Uh, the way that I actually go about uh, trading nowadays, which is uh, completely algorithmically um, and using uh, different methods from across the, the whole world, honestly, just to try to find alpha, as they say. To make a quick digression on the cybersecurity and white hat hacker aspects of your experience, I'm terribly curious for the hacking end and for the nefarious black hat hackers. 
Do they usually fall into categories of actor where it's, say, one, they just have pure criminal intent, where it's to extract money or to extract a political outcome or, or what have you? Two, it's philosophical hackers or maybe anarchists. Do you see kind of like telltale modalities of the interest that are on the other side of that chessboard? Yeah, well, I think... There's no easy answer to anything, of course, right? And uh, and I, I'm guilty of, of probably overthinking things uh, for, the, for the better part of my life, but it, it served me well. Um, I think that the motivations behind um, what people would say is quote-unquote hacking nowadays that you read in the mainstream media is uh, largely consistent of... I dare say I say crime families, but I, you know it could be um, nation states that obviously are deploying some type of uh, malicious or, or inf- information warfare is, is another key word that I think that comes out there. You know, I, I think the motivations are, are wide ranging, and I, I think it really kind of depends on uh, the different type of attack, the target, the actual uh, impact that comes from that target, whether it be. Uh, financial or uh, reputational harm. Uh, the, the motivations are kind of sometimes dual honed. Uh, it's kind of all over the place in terms of who's doing what and why. Uh, and uh, to be quite honest with you, a lot of times we don't know exactly what they intend to do with the, a lot of information that, that's a lot of kind of hearsay or uh, speculation, which ultimately isn't really validated until you can find that information out uh, on the dark web, for example, uh, and that's what they had intended for it. They probably have other intents for it, but they also can sell it. And uh, depending on who they're financed by and where they are uh, geopolitically kind of located, I think that, you know, it could be either just money or, or just um, some type of uh, information campaign that they're trying to get access to, uh, different things that they don't know. Uh, so it is kind of all over the board, and it would probably take a long time to go through a couple of examples. But you know, it is—it's um, very hard to uh, have that as a singular kind of um, classification in the industry. I think that that's why I have a lot. There's a lot of money and a lot of time that gets wrapped up into doing uh, breach response and investigations. Yeah, it's utterly fascinating. And I imagine there have to be some campaigns that are entirely useless in and unto themselves, where perhaps the hacker is just doing it to obfuscate his central purpose. So many of our listeners and viewers will know your work primarily from your trading indicators. So cool to think about you coming from such a wide berth of experience and kind of honing in that skill set to deliver this suite of services and products to uh, to the public. But uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that journey from cybersecurity, early investor in crypto, and then graduated to trading and active trading and your progression to building out these scripts and, and what that's been like for you? You know, a lot of the people that come into crypto, especially in the early days, and by early days, I mean uh, when a large tidal wave of people came into the industry back in 2017, if you were on that wave, um, found themselves, uh, for the majority of them, that didn't know to get out at the top. Uh, That was their first kind of example of what crypto could do. You know, those waves had periodically happened uh, in the past, and there was obviously a lot smaller set of people that were involved in these epic climbs from, you know, just nothing to, you know, complete what they call moon. And, you know, for the investor of a very little amount of money, you had a whole lot of money. And at the time, uh, you know, you didn't really have the robust infrastructure for trading uh, that you have today in order to kind of exit to cash. If you managed to get out, fantastic. Uh, But I guess what I'm saying is, um, you know, getting into cryptocurrency early for, I'm sure, a majority of them that are now influencers on, on Twitter and they own companies in the crypto space. And these are all people that just happen to buy Bitcoin very early or getting involved in some of these new um, financial products very, very early. And that's not necessarily luck. They had um, maybe future vision of what was going to go down. But the point is that, you know, for the Layfair kind of investor uh, like me, um, at the time, uh, I really just kind of looked at my what was quote unquote my my wealth going up and down and gyrating in a way that I wasn't really happy with, and I thought that there had to be a better way to do that. 
Um, and then, of course, just like a lot of traders start off with, you have uh, that learning curve that goes on. What is this? What is a chart? Candlestick patterns. Um, what are these indicators that I can put on my chart? What do they mean? Um, and then it's the, the first, I think, kind of ideas that you can um, start trading your way out of uh, a particular hole. And then you can start just taking swing trades on, you know, the higher time frames. And these are all things that actually don't, I think, lock into place for a lot of people in terms of what they actually mean from a trading perspective until they go through the rigor of actually trading. Uh, but originally back, you know, in the early days when I was um, trying to figure out how to manage this wealth that I had come into or, or just more wealth than I was used to, being able to effectively trade and not have to stare at the keyboard was one of those things that I was really kind of um, interested in. And I think that my uh, experience with programming in various languages and or uh, also breaking into uh, you know, different programming languages uh, kind of made me very curious about how to apply those skills to something that I would um, consider useful uh, by managing all of this uh, newfound wealth. And I, and I think that, you know, the, the progression of that eventually culminated in the development of SignalFi um, and then successfully kind of being able to manage uh, not only the money through active trading in crypto, but, you know, as I mentioned before, it's kind of like um, more money, more problems kind of approach. And then, you know, when people, I think, start having more of uh, their focus on preserving their wealth, they start to look and peek their head up at other things that are just generally not inside of their normal vision. Uh, if you're, you know, a cog in the wheel and you're working at an office and, you know, you have a job, not the Put anybody down for that but like that's just something that dominates your attention span and you don't have the ability to look at some of the additional things that are available to the the, the people who spend time every day making sure that their wealth is building uh, and they're they're strategizing about how to do that in various different ways and if you're just focused on your keyboard you know typing code or um, writing a new proposal or whatever you do for your job, you're not focusing on maintaining and preserving your capital wealth. And I think that that's the big kind of aha moment that happens as you start to have that initial tidal wave of just, I'll just say free time or free awareness or free perspective in order to bring yourself out of uh, what is the normal momentum wave of life and really try to actually plan what you're going to do with you know your newfound resources if you happen to find them and hopefully everybody on that's listening here will have a lot of these resources in the future we all hope that bitcoin goes to millions of dollars per unit um but i, I think that from a psycho uh, psychological perspective that's that's the real transformation that comes along with not only being successful in crypto but also just having more time to focus on your investments and being able to know that it's it's not really just about one asset it's about multiple and really kind of stretching out the risk management capabilities of the whole system as it stands uh, as a whole not just you know on crypto exchange that's the other kind of thing that we can get into as well i think i see a lot of people trying to make a lot of money in leveraged markets and they think that that's kind of what becoming super wealthy or, or, or super successful is. And I think that that's just, it leads to people being very, um, you know, it's just highly erratic, a lot of volatility in that pursuit. And that's why a lot of people get burned. You bring up a number of great points there. And the term paradigm shift is thrown around a good bit. When you can take a step back, and like you said, instead of being a cog in someone else's wheel. Don't be a cog in the machine, be the guy that builds machines. And that's kind of what I've lived by for a, uh, quite a while now. It's it's um, at that level where you just to get to see the battlefield from 25,000 feet and you're not down in the trenches. And, you know, again, proverbially, there's a lot of meaning there. But I think that it's just that perspective, that initial perspective that you need in order to kind of start looking elsewhere about how to actually do wealth management the right way. And I think that that leads into things like automated trading solutions, uh, because you just don't have enough time to live your life, be a dad, be a father. Whatever, I mean, whatever your pursuit is in life, there's only so many seconds in every day and those are very precious. And um, you want to try to maximize input to output. I'm fascinated with your paradigm shift that occurred in you. How did you kind of redefine yourself as the manager of your portfolio? 
everybody comes into the market when they learn about this stuff and obviously you have like you said with the leverage traders they have big dreams and they think that they can capitalize like they see on, on twitter people posting you know insanely high rois per trade and um and i think that 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 fundamentally skews a lot of what the expectations is for like day-to-day -day actions that you take in order to actually achieve those things some people might be just lucky clicking with the big red button and the big green button, you know, and just have kind of an instinct for when to get in and get out. Uh, other people have to prepare themselves in a lot of different ways, both from a technical perspective, both uh, from a psychology perspective, but, but also just from a, uh, how they execute their day-to-day -day lives and all of that wrapped up together. So, you know, I think for me, if I can connect this the right way, I think that I had an, an eye for doing more of the automated stuff in general, and that was kind of the, the track that I, that I went at. Uh, and initially I was hoping to be a little bit smart about it. So I actually dived in. I didn't want to like necessarily think that I know how to do all this stuff. And I think that there, at the time, even then there's, you know, a lot of books that, you know, you can go into and even find on Amazon. I'm sure that it's kind of like, uh, quant you know today the, the quant word gets thrown around around a lot and it's just the how do you build algorithms and you know searching from uh, night until day in terms of trying to figure out how i can push this coding element that i already know into the financial markets and then obviously taking in a lot of the fundamentals that i had not necessarily known from a financial perspective before going into this whole pursuit you know really kind of focus more on the technology um, security side uh, before this kind of all happened. Um, but knowing, uh, at least from what I believe, I think that people should, you know, try to ingest as much knowledge as they can um, all the time. Uh, so I'm continually learning, I'm continually reading books and, and absorbing different things from all over the place, mainly just to inform my decision, whatever, and I decided to make that. And I think that the initial kind of understanding of this whole thing was to try to implement a system that could trade as, as little as possible. Uh, so the first rendition of everything was really kind of just trying to remain in the trend as long as possible uh, and then not having uh, basically just minimizing the amount of times that I had to do a trade, hopefully capturing the bottom uh, and then obviously selling at the top or near it. And, uh, and that principle actually kind of lived with me throughout most of my future development uh, because I kind of it kind of made sense to me from the very beginning that it wasn't necessarily about getting the, the top or the bottom, but it was very, very critical to kind of define the variables around how I can gauge the middle chunk of, you know, the trend move. And actually today I do a lot of work with diagnosing how you can figure out different metrics for how strong the trend is. And there's obviously, many, many ways in momentum reversion type uh, algorithms that kind of look at that, those variables and try to find how the price is compressed, uh, compressing and escalating into um, different waves. And, I, and that, that kind of uh, just made sense to, to kind of go out first is, is basically just make sure you get the meat of the move. And from that perspective, I, obviously the, the weekly, monthly timeframes were the first thing that I kind of made sure that I always watched. Uh, and then, as obviously you get more into the details and you get more, I guess, experienced and or just confident in yourself, you can step down into the lower timeframes uh, to kind of tune up the algorithms to do more than uh, of what you have already proved at the higher timeframes. I was actually pretty lucky with this, by the way, like a lot of people kind of fail. They, there's a lot of different ways that people fail at implementing trading, quote unquote, and even auto trading. Um, but, uh, if there's one thing I can cut everybody down the right path, it's just, you know, I tend to try to trade less and I, I tend to try to just make sure that I get uh, a statistically good portion of the move. And simply by that, that, that function is how I base uh, my, my kind of um, my performance. And in that way, I can also kind of, you know, remain sane because there, there's a lot of pitfalls and traps along that whole kind of process because you could look at a chart and you can say, well, I could have made 20% uh, if I just did this. And that's the psychology part that I think that a lot of people, both regular traders as well as auto traders kind of get into um, that just kind of drives you crazy. And it, it, it can drive you into a better, you know, algo or a better trading strategy. Um, but eventually you got to under, like, 
kind of say to yourself again that that time that you invest in this has to be equal to whatever the return is. Are you in and out of assets or do you mainly trade sweetheart assets that you're most familiar with? Yeah, most, um, I'm kind of agnostic to the the different types of strategies, to be honest. I I think that there's a a slew that uh, I've built over the years or or that uh, use, you know, personally to kind of try to capture something that's relevant or that I think is relevant as, um, as profit, if you want to call it that. Uh, and I think that all of the strategies have their usefulness. They have all strategies have their positives and their negatives. And I, ultimately, I think a, a big part of risk management is kind of diversifying across all the different types of strategies that you you would typically read about or hear about on Twitter. You know, you have buy and hold, and then you have uh, all the series of other ones that you could even potentially talk about, including trading and auto trading. And I think that there's a there's an answer, there's a portfolio of different um a bit like what people should do in order to kind of hedge risk in any one thing that they do, they should probably try to take a little bit of a piece of each of them. Of course, in crypto, I can always, and from a cybersecurity perspective, I can never really advise anyone to leave money on the exchange if they can't, if they don't have to trade with it, you know? Um, so like, you know, the hacks and, and what have you that have happened in the past are only just a four day you know, kind of conclusion that they'll happen again to, you know, a higher or lower degree, it doesn't really matter. The, the point is, just from uh, a good custodian of your wealth resources, you want to make sure that you're taking every um, step you can in order to basically secure that wealth. And crypto gives you the obvious ability to do that with technology that's never existed before. Be your own bank, store your own keys. You know, those are things that are very important. Um, but that doesn't really help you uh, do auto trading every day, right? Because you're not going to be able to do that. So then what do you do? Again, it's about risk management in terms of allocating your different, uh, I guess, channels of how you're investing, whether it be auto trading or day trading or um, long-term trading because you want uh, you, you think the link or, or another asset is going to go up in the future. It's just kind of like... Again, when you have time to plan at a higher level about all the thing, different things that are available to you, if we're just talking about crypto trading in this example, you know, you're not just thinking about, oh, I have to day trade and then sitting at the computer for eight hours and trying to catch the next drop in the next, you know, top. Like that's not your, that's not what a long-term stable wealth manager would do with their money. It would be kind of making sure that the portfolio allocation across all the different channels are, are accurate given the level and degree the market is currently moving with like advanced macro met- uh, metrics. You know, we do track price action and a lot of the algos that, and this indicators that we obviously release and signify um, is they're, they're all momentum reversion based. But that's only one metric and there's a usefulness to that, but it's limited because it doesn't take into account, you know, a lot of the fundamental stuff that is out there. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is I, I try to take part in diversified risk management across multiple different channels. That way, no matter what, and this probably comes from my mind uh, later on as I grew into understanding portfolio management, you know, I'm really just trying to build this linear kind of equity curve. And I don't, I would love for something to go absolutely parabolic, um, but at, at what I'm most interested in is just a very stair step rise over time. As much as I can smooth that equity curve out, the better that I'm doing. Just as a quick side note, your last bit in terms of a smooth equity curve kind of spoke to me for a Renko bars. I use Renko as well as I kind of get a perspective from all the candles, actually. I don't independently use one nowadays if I'm just sitting at a terminal and let's say I was doing a live trading session. I wouldn't just stay on, the, on one type of candle. I'd probably be across all three um, of, the, of the big ones. Um, so that'd be Renko, HA, and, and, and normal candles. And, you know, Renko is extremely valuable, I would say, in terms of the noise that exists in the market. Um, when you have like a new trader coming on line to learn a lot of this stuff, I think people, generally speaking, can find for a large portion of the population, if they didn't see candlesticks first and they just looked at a, rank, a Renko chart and then they started trading the Renko chart, they might be more successful on like some kind of statistic uh, percentage. Uh, just because I think that it cuts out a lot of the noise and it cuts out a lot of the subjective kind of 
pattern recognition that we all have, that we all try to do in, in, in everything that we do every day. I think that that's why so many different um, contexts and different um, percept, like different indicators are perceived different ways. And, you know, and no matter what indicator I build, I can get, you know, 500 questions about how it works. And, you know, it's kind of like, to me, I'm like, how do you have, how do I have to explain that just this way? But that's the point about the pattern recognition that usually goes on with people. And I think that Renko really helps collapse a lot of that into something that's very consumable. And a lot of the indicators that you'll find that people use, if you use them on Renko, um, the indicators are actually a lot easier to understand as well. Um, so I think that those two working together and just kind of understanding at, at the beginning how Renko is calculated and how it works um, can can be really powerful for new new traders. Awesome. And, and that brings me to my next query about your script work here. For instance, I'm looking at the screen share that you have up right now. And, you know, across the board, your indicators and your charts are very pleasing to the eye, you know, I, and I, I don't think that the importance of that can be overstated. Like if your if your eyes grow tired from looking at the chart, then it means you're just like every other trader, you know, uh, your eyes are eventually going to go tired from looking at the chart. So it's important to, you know, make the, the chart as, as agreeable to, you know, how we can uh, metabolize that visual information to put it into an actionable plan. And uh, I, I feel like your your charting style uh, or the visual style does a great job of making it palatable, you know, uh, and, you know, making it actionable um, while at the same time delivering a, you know, a wide swath of information. So I uh, wanted to give you kudos on that. Oh, well, thank you. No, I think that that's... Um... That's always the case. I mean, I think like one of the things that obviously aesthetically, yes, you have to be able to, if you're going to be staring at a chart every day, you, you best like to stare at it. Right. And more than anything, I think coming from a statistics world, um, and, and just learning all the time, I kind of have always relied upon this idea of chunking, right? So how fast can I look at something and be able to determine what I need to determine about it? And I think that that's, also the subjective nature of all indicators out there. It's like if you were to ask anybody, any one of the indicator developers, what they see when they look at an indicator be completely different than if I, for example, you know, people who just see this on the screen for the first time, they say, oh, it looks pretty and nice colors. And I can see that it's red and blue. My blue means up, red means down. Um, you know, it may not be as crystal clear what's going on at the level uh, of the code, uh, but they can at least see that there's these segments of the market that are moving and you can kind of see clear defined starts and stops of different changes of the line going up and down. And if you just kind of try to go at it like that, you know, signify the way that we try to work with people when they come in and use the indicators is to tell them that this isn't like a buy and sell indicator where you just are going to buy one signal and sell one signal. This is really trying to get you to look at the price action a certain way so that you can build your own kind of system around what makes sense to you. We'll give you all the tools that we think are necessary to get you started. The indicators give you kind of a backdrop of different things about how to analyze the price action based on what you know traders have kind of found very useful. Um, and then there's hopefully some additional elements in there that make it easier to kind of make those gut decisions about when you need to enter or when you need to exit. And that chunking ability that you see on the graph and making those decisions about trading ultimately, I think, is what leads to successful traders. It's, it's, it's being able to find confluence with whatever your system is and being able to, you know, set your risk management and then walk away. And as soon as you can start making those decisions based on a, a set of you know data that you look at on the chart quickly and without emotion, I think that that's when a lot of traders kind of flip the switch and start realizing uh, what type of quote unquote video game you're playing. Um, and if it's emotional, then you kind of do a lot more emotional work and spend a lot more energy than you really had to if you just knew how to look at the price a little bit differently. 
And right now we are looking at, is this Prime? Yeah, so right now we're looking at Prime. Um, this is the, what do they call it, the flagship uh, kind of script right now. It's really like a system, like I mentioned, for people to kind of look at the price action. It's based on uh, Ichimoku um, in some ways, and we use various elements from it, mainly the baseline, uh, to figure out a main trend. And then what we did with Prime in general was we tried to wrap in a bunch of uh, three different indicators that are well accepted in the industry. And of course, everybody's heard about RSI and maybe not so uh, known as Awesome Oscillator, but those are a couple of our favorites. And what we did is we repackaged them into just a different format and um, so that they could be used together with Prime, the, the primary indicator, to try to give you an idea of when the market was shifting um, and to be able to inform you and for you to be able to build your systems around these, again, chunks of data that make sense to you and your risk tolerance um, so that you could plan and execute a trade. Uh, just to give you an example of this, so Prime, for example, comes with a slew of different indicators and and, um, <clears throat> and signals, but well, let's just take this, this bottom, um, obviously rise up and then obviously the fall that came back down. Um, this is on daily. So, you know, um, First of all, you know, price always revolves around some type of band and everybody has maybe heard of a Bollinger band before. And that's great, but it's um, highly reactive. And one of the things, again, I mentioned before is I try to take the longer approach at a, at a, at a trend and get the biggest meat of a move, whether it's up or down. Um, so in that sense, um, this band is really Kind of exemplifying an extreme of the current price information or price action which is why you're seeing the candles always popping right above the band and it's meant to never really be breached it's meant just to be giving you an idea of when price is topping out because eventually you'll see the candle start falling from where this mean is and it's just basically a smoothed out bollinger band but i guess the point is you always want to have a good idea of how far the price can move up or how far the price can move down just to kind of give you an automated way to look at the price chart without having to draw a Fibonacci retracement or some other comparable thing that you've seen before. Um, and just kind of know at a glance, what is the highest level that can go? What is the most likely lowest that it can go? And, you know, there are exceptions like we see right here. Um, but having that, again, chunking behavior when you're looking at, you know, on one one twenty, what am I what am I thinking right here? You're going to know that you basically have this range to trade in. Uh, and then obviously we try to wrap that information in other indicators like uh, these pivot lines, which will continually update as um, the price falls over or under uh, some significant level that is defined by the, tr the major trend information. So, you know, again, it could be, um, it's meant to be a system that adapts to you and you can automate it as you will. Uh, there's a bunch of different signals that give you, just to give you an example of how this would work, you could um, easily decide that you wanna take early entry signals, which would be uh, something like an RSI cross, where you have an RSI cross over uh, an RSI uh, signal line or uh, you have your major kind of flips of the EGMA uh, trend that you're, you're wanting to go through. But I guess in this entry down here where there was a cross and there was a primary entry, um, not only did you get an RSI, and maybe you weren't convinced about that one, well then you get another signal, the next bar that says, okay, I'm twice as sure now, RSI is over this key significant level. I've got blue here, I've got blue crossing up, up and your awesome oscillator. And then if you still weren't sure, you're you're coming over two very significant levels that are also painted on the chart. You're breaking over a high bar right here that was started, you know, a couple days earlier. And then you're also um, <clears throat> starting to rise and getting an actual, uh, like an AO signal bar here, which is this blue up and down shading. But I think from an ease of, of just kind of understanding when you're looking at some of the indicators that we build, it's all about confluence. It's all about seeing the price for, you know, where most of the indicators and most of the things that you would look at to make a decision are agreeing with each other. And that's where 
you would try to target your trade. So in this case, again, this is kind of done for you for each EMA and prime. This blue box right here denotes the actual uh, most strength of the trend when price is most likely to go up. So if you have all these agreement and all these signals and you're in a blue zone, that is meant to tell you that this is a good time to go up. And conversely, you have that same kind of scenario happen on a way down where you get an advance notice about um, price changing direction on RSI. Awesome oscillator gets you across here in terms of a signal line. Uh, and then you get the next uh, signal one, two, three in a row. Uh, and then finally, if you weren't convinced you didn't, you had to exit at that point, you know, you start crossing and building a new pivot line here that tells you that you're actually just building resistance at, at this particular spot. And so, you know, again, this is kind of meant when it's understood to kind of be a, a gut check reality for telling you how strong the trend is and giving you multiple signals to get out, depending on what you hold as a bias. I think that that's also something that we find happens with a lot of traders. Oh, I see the signal. Oh, I use this indicator. Oh, I still lose money. And why is that? It's most of the time because people haven't adopted and automated the system completely, or they see the signal and then they have something that happens psychologically where they decide because they know better that they're not going to follow the signal. So the idea with each EMA, for example, and this whole system together is to give you a continual multiple different signals about confluent trend direction so that you can convince yourself not once, twice, three, four times that you need to be taking a position in one side or the other. Yeah. And, and you bring up some great points there. I mean, the, the, the truth is that, you know, the trading view script um, marketplace is populated with uh, a, a, a bunch of uh, opportunists who, uh, you know, are simply looking to leverage the, um, the naivety of, of new traders, you know, who are looking for the, you know, the silver bullet to, to kill the market and to have, you know, 90% win rate and, you know, just, you know, automate the stuff and, and, you know, retire within a couple months, you know? Um, but, but the truth is that, um, you know, the, the market is going to be full of noise, you know, and you can have 10 traders, 10 profitable traders in the same room looking at the same chart and they can all give you a, a, a different bias and, you know, support that bias with their experience and, you know, trade it according to their system. And even if one's going long, one's going short, depending on the time frame or the strategy, you know, all could come out uh, winners, you know? Uh, so I think that uh, it's it's just important for um, you know folks who are getting into this to understand that uh, there's uh, I'm not going to say that there are no shortcuts because um, there will always be ways to leverage opportunity timing and uh, you know knowledge and skills you know but uh, you're you aren't going to do yourself any favors by neglecting. Uh, hard work, self-education, et cetera, you know? Um, so I, I, I like that, that you, you know, you're giving it straight, you know, there, there are going to be a number of, 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 uh, you know, sometimes conflicting, you know, sometimes confluent, um, indicators that, you know, will, um, you know, ultimately, uh, write the chart. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you from, from your, um, you know, uh, a cyber and, and tech background. Um, how are you personally uh, implementing uh, this system in an automated way? Like, are, are you using you know AutoView or some kind of um, you know other other platform uh, to you know hook in your APIs or you know did you have your uh, your own self designed platform? Like, how do you go about automating your strategies? Yeah, well, we do uh, provide a, a walkthrough uh, on our Discord actually about uh, automating uh, this HEMA Prime uh, or the Prime system in general. So this this whole system can be automated, <clears throat> and then uh, we give guidance for how to do it with. And, and to be honest, any of them can be used as long as they they can take a signal from uh, from TradingView. So uh, we've actually seen people. Uh, 
on our Discord, we actually have a walkthrough for using Alertatron, uh, just because um, it's, it's very extensible in terms of its backend support engine for how to manage trades, stop losses, take profits, scaled orders, um, a lot of that more advanced uh, processing that's available to the retail market is nice to have, uh, and it's it's specifically implemented pretty well in Alertatron. Um, so that's actually the, the walkthrough that we usually take people through if they want to automate one of our systems. Um, and then, uh, but but otherwise, if this is the first time that you hear about you know auto trading different scripts, I mean uh, you can use uh, a majority of them, and a majority of them have their limitations and and, and good things that they do is good as well. You know, I have three commas. Um, auto view, profit view, um, they all do the same thing in terms of either taking an, um, an alert that you set here from um, the alert that you set here from trading view, you can send any one of these alerts to any with any one of these providers. And as long as they can connect to the exchange, you can execute a trade. It can be margins, if the exchange supports it uh, or not. Um, and then you can also, at least in, in this particular environment, uh, with this particular script, in terms of selecting what you want to exit on, um, you can even uh, take profit, set, set stop losses, uh, any one of these different signals that you would see on the chart. Um, so I don't have a, a bias for each one of them. I think that each one has, you know, their goods and their bads, and you might be on, people might be on exchanges that, um, you might have to use one versus the other. Uh, so, but, but they're all possible and, and the actual infrastructure amongst them all is kind of the same in terms of executing trades. And personally, um, the, the, that I've got a person, like a, a hybrid kind of completely standoff system that we run everything through um, that has kind of like grown and, and been adapted over time to do a lot of other kind of uh, signal processing from outside of um, what I would call just the candlesticks, you know, so we'll absorb data from um, things like the, the hashing of the network, you know, these key fundamentals um, that you kind of have in the crypto world that are the only fundamentals that you really have in the crypto space. Um, transaction volume, you know, new users, uh, social uh, media sentiment, like these things are the the FA of the crypto uh, world in the normal stock market, you know, a lot of this analysis can be done in a lot of different ways because there is actually fundamental uh, an analysis that you can do. And the crypto world is kind of a little bit murkier in terms of what do you actually use that's not uh, on the candlestick chart. So in order to do a lot of that analysis, you have to have a system that's not in trading view. And obviously that's that's why it'd be nice to get into understanding if you have that kind of idea or you have a background in coding, there's a lot of free available information in, in crypto that you can actually use in order to build, for example, like a Python-based system that does your auto trading, uh, that also sucks in different order book data that you're not gonna necessarily be able to use on you know, trading view, for example. Um, and it just kind of opens you up to the idea that you can do this signal processing in an easy way. And if you have, again, if you're in this kind of field where you do programming or something like it, uh, you don't even have to really do that because I didn't uh, when I first started. You can still make a, a pretty cool system, to be honest, if you just have a little bit of persistence. Coming back to the Alertatron uh, for a moment. Uh, do they offer uh, conditional uh, uh, trading parameters? Like, let's say, you know, you were to say, okay, open a long position only if, uh, or only when th at least three of these five parameters are met, you know, and, and, you know, close it accordingly. You know, do they, do they offer for that or is it? I do think that they do. Yes. They, they have multi-tiered statements that you can build into their signals. So, um, that's actually why I suggest it. It's not that the other ones don't do something similar. It's just that they're kind of limited in that approach. And Alertron has done a good. Uh, they've done a good job so far. Uh, again, their their documentation is pretty good too. Uh, that kind of demonstrates this: that the the different types of orders that you can do, and then being able to have multiple stages of the order get processed by the same signal. I think it is pretty robust in terms of comparing it to other competitors that are out there. Awesome. Well, I, I will be, uh, when, when we finish this episode, I'll be hopping on over to your discord to learn more about this. As far as the, the, the charts and various 
you know, in, instruments and scripts that you employ. Are, are there any other uh, visual cues that you'd like to uh, share with our uh, viewers and and listeners uh, before we wrap things up? I just let you know, I mean, Signify in general uh, gives, um, we do have three free scripts that we like to start people off, start people off with. Each one of them has a, a different function per se, but um, these are those ones that they can get for free today. Um, and again, they all have their functions. I think just very quickly, um, we have Pivotify on top and that's really just a way to always have an idea of where your key supports and resistances are. Um, this can be done many, many different ways. Uh, and there's many scripts that are available for people to leverage on TradingView to, to do something similar. but. Uh, in terms of my inclinations for how I built this script, I, I'm uh, very much into the Fibonacci series um, and using that that type of just understanding of what I feel like the markets are based on more uh, and my subjective uh, opinion about those numbers and, and what they do in the world. Um, in any case, that's kind of what is deriving these pivots and the painting of these pivots on the chart. Um, you can kind of see how they, they exist. Um, and they do tend to wrap the price action and give you indicated uh, clues about where the tops and the bottoms and where supports, support and resistances are going to be. So if you're planning a trade, you can easily use this as your um, helper to create stop losses and or uh, take profit events just by uh, using uh, your position tool. You know, if you were down here, <clears throat> for example, and you're, this is, you know, a line that you were watching as red, um, and then we had this this break above, which happened in 7400. Um, you could easily, you know, just use this as a way to say that you wanted to take profit on any one of these past um, pivot lines. And most times, if you back tested it, and we have, um, you know, those are going to be pretty significant levels that you want to be able to target as you trade. So again, that's just a, a different automated way to look at the different price action as it's forming and, and not really having to do a whole lot of work to find out levels that mean something. And then um, right down here, another free one is, is volume uh, phi, which is another just easier way that I had uh, put together in order to look at um, what volume is doing. You know, I think volume bars tend to be incredibly important when you learn how to use them effectively in trading. I think that they, they really aren't utilized a whole lot by new traders. So this is kind of the idea behind volume phi is just to kind of give a nice, simple up and down motion of um, price volume relationship um, and, and that have that be a gauge for how you enter and exit a trade. Um, just kind of uh, another validator against whatever other bias you have on your primary chart. And then uh, finally, Cognify is uh, something completely different. I'm not even sure if um, there's really a comparative to it, um, but it, it's, a, it's basically meant to be a wave uh, kind of uh, indicator that keeps you in and out of a trend where uh, it's looking at something that isn't normally calculated. And I guess you could call it uh, derived on RSI, but it's not truly that, um, but if you were to look at it, it, it can be used in the same method as an RSI. It's just very, very slow, so that it is making you stay in this long, this larger arc of a trend. And as the, um, again, colors change from red to blue, you should start thinking about what your bias is for this particular trade. And as you see, for example, uh, you know, these red ideas to start popping up on the graph based on whatever indicator you're using. This doesn't have to be with Signify, but just all of them. As you start to see confluence around um, what you're seeing on your different indicators, this should really start to form your bias about how you're going to take your trade from now on. This is clearly three, if you're using these three indicators, that's three different um, synchronous events. That means that you should have, be having somewhat of a bull, uh, bearish uh, bias here which means that statistically you're going to be taking short trades instead of long trades until you reach, you know, back down to whatever level you agree to is support. Um, so again, that, that is just a, an easy way and tool that we give new people coming in to try to get involved with us and see that we're just trying to train you how to see this confluence with multiple different indicators. That's great, man. I, I, I love that, uh, uh, Cognify. That's, 
uh, really neat looking one. I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Well, Signify, I, I really appreciate the work that you've uh, put forth, you know, to expand the repertoire of, of young and budding traders, as well as, you know, intermediate and, and experts alike, you know, um, uh, from from our talk pre-show, you know, and, and your successes in, in various arenas, you really haven't uh, had the need to do this. And I think that uh, conversely, that uh, shows up positively in your work. You know, that it's not it's not hungry. It's not, you know, shilling of like, oh, this is the one indicator that's going to, you know, that's going to bring down the market and buy you your your C8 Corvette or, you know, whatever the hell. You know, it's it's tried and true. And anybody who visits your work in earnest will will be very impressed with it. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. One thing to just mention there too, is like the automated stuff. So I think we touched on it and I want to make people know that that's, you hit the nail on the head with that. It's so very easy to, um, to have a false kind of just just a false statement about what you're going to have as a return in automated trading. There's so many things that go into it. And I, and I do feel that there's a lot of, uh, tomfoolery if you would call her just just bad not they I mean they don't a lot of times they don't even know that they're doing it necessarily it's just that they don't haven't been through the rigor of understanding all the, the real details behind it and i think that trading view obviously makes it very easy for you to quote unquote backtest something and i think that that backtest can you know has a slew of different fallacies with it um, that aren't necessarily known to people so it is it is um from our side you know whatever system that we provide you know it's going to be realistic returns that are backtested in real environments and and that's kind of what uh, we hope is beneficial people for people to know and i don't really release a whole lot of those automated systems mainly because of that fact you know you, you want to have uh, a very stable system that's that you know works and that people can't really abuse um if they decide to take it into their own hands and play with the settings or what have you and, and i you know would feel bad if people started to lose their money on, on that from that perspective so that's why there, there's limited kind of botting stuff on our discord other than this prime series whenever we release something it would always be kind of battle hardened and tested that it's actually going to at least do more good than, than bad awesome before i let you go i had kind of a a lightning round of questions that i would love for your input on are there any exchanges that you feel more secure with or any exchanges that you wouldn't let your coins be on for a hot second based on security track record or what you know of their backend security? An easy one, I would say, to, or an easy way to answer this is is one that all exchanges are going to say something that they do and they'll maybe even present something to you on the outside face that sounds great and maybe even be uh, a certification that... Uh, they say that the data center has or what have you. And I just, you know, from the cybersecurity angle of it, you always have to be very careful about what real world implementation of those um, ongoing pursuits toward being, whether it be compliant or be secure, all of those things have to happen at a very, very, very high level and degree, not only when they get those certifications, but also after the fact. And a lot of the times, you know, the uh, certifier or the, the the level and degree that they operate those controls with afterwards they get that they get those certifications may not always be something that you can rely on so i think that this happens across the board with many different companies across all industries and sectors so i think that there's just generally an, a proclivity to have security issues no matter what um, so what do you fall back on in terms of risk and i would think that in general exchanges, if they have, or they could have some type of insurance protection, you know, when we have clients and we say, you know, can you, no matter what you do, I'm going to be able to hack you. And they say, okay, well, what do I do then? <laughs> so you say, well, there's, we manage that risk, you know, we need to buy some insurance or uh, we need to offload or accept some other different way of doing business so that we can kind of try to cut out this risk somehow. And uh, from an exchange perspective, there's not many that do actual tangible insurance of funds, but there are a few. And uh, I think that if you're if you're trading a lot of money, or if you're doing a lot of trading, and you may be worried about just in general the the, the coins being hacked, you want to have the highest degree of what I'll call quote unquote like custody controls over those assets when they're under management. So that would be. At the end of the day, even if they get hacked, you would need some type of insurance backdrop to kind of 
replace your funds, even if that did happen. And that, that's what I would kind of look for. Awesome. Off the top of my head, I mean, I know that Coinbase, FDIC backing, does that hold any water for you? Yeah, Coinbase is a good example. Uh, it's an example. They are one of the uh, exchanges that are, that they have like their own insurance policy, right? Um, and that guards them against some hacking event for, I think it's $233 million. That If they get hacked, you're covered there, at least up to $233 million. Uh, and then if you have an FDA, if you have a cash account there, and it's not in digital assets, but it's, it's in cash on Coinbase, uh, they have it set up where the, it's a pass it's a pass through to their partner bank that it will be covered under FDIC. So technically from Coinbase, you're protected whether or not you hold cash there. Uh, and that would be an example of a good exchange if you wanted to be hyper-regulate, you know, and there's just not a whole lot of them. Yeah. I mean, to be frank, there's a lot of rigor and a lot of hoops that you have to jump through in order to accomplish that. Basically, same question for your personal storage methods. Do you trust one hardware wallet over another, or do you think it's splitting hairs? Like, what's your take on the hardware wallet market? Well, I, I'm actually looking at, at all three or four of the major versions right in front of me on my desk. <laughs> so I, I tend to have them. Oh, yeah. There you go. I have them all. We, we take looks into, uh, from a security perspective, them all the time. And I kind of end up uh, moving them around based on what's currently available to everybody in order to update and what we think is the best uh, place for hardware storage. Uh, you know, if, if they have to be on a hardware wallet, of course, they could still be in paper in, in a vault somewhere, right? Uh, it doesn't have to be in a hardware wallet necessarily. Uh, but I think that um, in general, they, this is kind of like with any kind of operating system or software, you want to make sure that there's a competent company that's pushing out uh, updates for flaws because from the security aspect, there's always going to be new vectors that we try to, you know, press into in order to get access to different things that are valuable. And uh, it's one thing to have a vulnerability that exists one day. It's it's another thing to have multiple vulnerabilities exist that are not fixed. And I think as long as the provider from you know, your hardware wallet, whether it be, you know, KeyPass or Trezor or whatever, they just need to be able to demonstrate that they're actually uh, sending out uh, those security updates or just general OS or firmware updates on a consistent basis. When there is a, uh, something that come, that goes wrong, there's been plenty of them documented online that have gone through this cycle of, you know, vulnerabilities and then they have to, you know, release an update. And, uh, and that would be my just general kind of, not that people have to do that, but know that, you know, there is a couple of big players and in general, they've been trying to keep them up to date. And I would just try to stay in the, but try to use the ones that are obviously a part of the, the bigger market, mainly because they have more developers behind them that are actually using uh, the vulnerabilities that get identified in order to fix the software that runs them. Signify, I got to say, man, you've been terribly generous with your time, your expertise, your knowledge, and your experience on our podcast today. And I can't wait to have you back and continue to deepen my connections within your community. What is the best way for our listeners and viewers to connect with you and your work after this airs? Sure. No, thanks, man. I think that um, you can do signify.net to get access to just kind of an example of what uh, some of the things we've got going on. All the links are there for the Discord or Twitter or what have you. And I'm at signify uh, underscore actually on Twitter. So it's signify underscore on Twitter. And um, that's primarily where you can get updates from me uh, as well as our Discord, which again is on the the links uh, from Twitter and signify.net. Right on. And as I am keen to do, I wanted to give you the opportunity. Do you have any last thoughts or final musings that you'd like to leave our listeners thinking about? Certainly. Well, I just thank you again for, you know, starting up the conversation and having me on. And of course, look forward to coming back and talking about all things that are related to crypto world. Again, we kind of, or at least I personally track a a large swath of the technology areas uh, that go on, not only in the crypto markets, but also in, in adjacent technology stacks that you know, kind of get implemented throughout whatever the uh, the ecosystem is, or you know, just general technology development. And it's very interesting to always see the the different movements of you know the chatter uh, going through the mainstream media and how it's actually going to play out. And that can be a completely different conversation. I think we focus on next time. But I, again, last comment would be if you get involved with the Signify site and the indicators. Um, 
you know, uh, again, uh, there's, a, there's a slew of different information that's available on both the Discord as well as the website, uh, different medium articles about how to use them. Um, and of course, if you have any questions for how they're used, uh, we have a pretty uh, active Discord. I think there's more than 275 different people that are always in there, uh, in and out. So um, there's always someone there to kind of answer any question you have with how to run these indicators. Uh, and again, uh, it's more than anything about trying to give you a system that you can grow and build yourself and be able to own it and kind of take pieces from each one of these different indicators and build them on into something that you can actually use to be uh, successful. And that's always been the real uh, goal of Signify. Um, so we, we, we definitely try to help people learn how to trade, not just give you an indicator. Awesome. Well, Signify, thanks again so much for being with us today. And once again, to our listeners, thank you and happy trading. I'd like to thank our listeners for joining this episode of The Nest Show. We invite you to connect with our guest on Twitter, where Signify can be reached at Signify underscore. And I am at Benjamin T1717. Additionally, Signify's website can be reached at Signify.net. If you've appreciated the depth and breadth of what you've heard with us today, subscribe to our podcast and find our landing page at thebirdnest.com. We have a vibrant Discord community which acts as our central hub of operations, and we welcome you to join us at thebirdnest.com discord. We also offer an extensive free bulletin on emerging crypto market trends, exclusive undervalued gem reports, and in-depth expert technical and fundamental analysis at thebirdnest.com bulletin. We always appreciate engagement from our community, which of course means liking the video and subscribing to our page, where we insist on bringing you the highest quality content available. Also, we're happy to incorporate tips and topics from our listeners and encourage you to email us at thenestshow at thebirdnest.com. This podcast is brought to you by The Burb Nest. Thank you and trade on. <music> <laughs>